our recording. We're back for our second episode. I've got Joe Wallace with us. You there, Joe? Woo-hoo! Yeah. Hey, and we got special guests with us this time, too. Uh, we've got uh, Marie, my wife, Marie Baldwin, on board. Hello. She was my wife first. <laughs> you, you guys met through me. We are, um, let me make sure I'm checking all my levels here. So we're going to be talking about four albums today that, that it seems like it split the fan base. And here's the thing. Marie is like a Journey expert. She, she was a Journey fan before Journey even formed. Um, like I'm, I'll go even start. So you know how like Journey, even as a word, like let's say you're going to go on a vacation and you're, you're going to go on a journey, right, Joe? Yes, sir. Marie knows about your journey before you even Ooh. took your vacation. That's how much of a Journey fan she is. So, so she's pre-wheels in the sky and all that. I don't know, honey. You pre wheels in the sky? Let's just let's well, fact I, check. I definitely studied way back to the very beginnings. Definitely. Well, when Neil Sean was with, uh, who was he? Was Santana or Zappa? Santana, San- right? Santana. You started with Santana. You were a fan then? No, no. Oh, man. Did you hear the tone in her voice? Oh. I mean, I've been a Santana fan forever, but um, I think they were, yeah, I think I was like an embryo when they first. Oh, okay. I, I feel like you're saying I'm old. <laughs> no, no. So let's. Um, I guess we should qualify. She's a she's a Steve Perry Journey fan. I, I was wow. just going to say that. So uh, she's definitely not a Carlos Santana. She's a Neil Sean Steve Perry. Yeah. Fan. But you know yeah. what? Let, let's let's save that because the first album that I want to cue up because we left off the last uh, podcast talking about this. So Joe, hold your thoughts for a second <laughs> because I actually want to give, I actually want to give one of our TikTok friends first, first opportunity. Here's the thing. Black album at the time was a huge disappointment for the hardcore metal community. You know, when we're used to sounds like from master of puppets and injustice for all, and they followed that up with the black album. It was a letdown because it wasn't hard. It wasn't heavy. It wasn't aggressive. Like those, uh, like those albums. But what Metallica saw at that time, that I didn't see at the time, was the evolution of metal music. And this is why a lot of those old school bands aren't around anymore. They're not touring much anymore. Yeah, there's been a little bit of resurgence, but honestly, Metallica did an amazing job. Listening back on that album 30 years later, it's phenomenal. It holds the test of time. They did such an amazing job there and changed their sound so they adapted and they didn't die. I said, good on them. Fantastic job. All right, so that was actually, um, that was Convos with Paul Nielsen. He's one of our TikTok friends, giving us his two cents. And we're going to read through some of the other comments I've gotten on the subject. But, Joe, have at it. What do you think about Paul's comments, and what are your thoughts on the Black Album? He literally nailed it right on the, right on the head. I mean, that was absolutely perfect. I could totally, as a songwriter and someone who records all the time, the production on the Black Album was completely next level when Bob Rock took it over. And uh, all the documentaries and all that aside, my problem with it is, is um, like we talked about, I think we were on here and we talked about it in Justice for All, horrible recording, but excellent songs. Um, and he's exactly right. Like I told you, I justify my comments on bands. Why did I purchase that CD? I own everything prior to the Black Album, even the. Uh, there was a cassette with the prints on it on one side and the other side it had, I think um, it doesn't even matter blackened or something. It doesn't even matter, but master of puppets completely set the bar um, as far as everything. And um, so when the justice for all came out, the songs were as good as justice uh, as master puppets, but the song production, the producing on the album was 
just so bad. And there's conspiracy theories that they didn't want to record Jason Newstead, which I think is all bullshit. But because um, they say you cannot, that's the problem with you can't hear the bass. But the Black Album, Bob Rock took their production to the next level. But he, in my opinion, heavily produced it, like their songwriting and all that. And your uh, TikTok listener is 100% correct. I did not buy that album. But to this day, those songs are still relevant. Um, it's not my favorite album. It definitely was a game changer. It definitely set them on a, a course for um, success. But I do not own it, and I'm not a fan of it. There's no denying it's excellent, but it is not Master Puppet. So here's a question I've got for you. And now, and first off, yes, so that was the one Bob Rock came on. Um, and I think if I remember and doing, looking into it, you know, he's co-credited as the producer along with um, – uh, James Hetfield, and I can't remember if Kurt got got credit on there for production. But I so think that, Lars did. Lars, that's right, that Lars. But so up until that point, I think Fleming Rasmussen had been the producer on a lot of the album. So there is a question as to why did not why did Fleming not carry over onto that one? But here's the question I've got for you that I'm really curious. Do you think so? Last week we talked about hair rock and its transition into uh, with grunge and one of the big things i didn't really hit on is i think radio radio play was a big part of that the bands that took the hit coming out of hair rock were those that had the radio play and the reality is the black album we saw metallica all of a sudden get a lot of radio play do you think that played a part do you think metallica fans it wasn't just about the production but there was there an element that all of a sudden their beloved band had become mainstream like we said last week that was our first video too that was their first video was Enter the Sandman. Um, I think one was their second video. So it, uh, it, I'm um, actually, actually, I think you may have that reverse. I think uh, they did get went out, went out first and then Enter Sandman, but we can check that. It, it, I think this is going to be a constant theme in our podcast is uh, it's the it's the record companies. I mean, Metallica had a massive following with no radio play and no videos. Black Album changed everything. And I'm sure um, the record company saw the product as excellent. They just wanted to make it. Radio friendly. CM Thunk on uh, our, uh, my TikTok channel made the comment, if the Black Album didn't make Metallica popular, more Metallica diehards would absolutely love it, not claim it's where they went downhill. Now, immediately after that, a longtime Metallica fan uh, responded quickly and said, no, that's, not, that's, that's absolutely not true. It was the album itself. Um, do you see, think CM Thunk has a point? <laughs> that's so funny because I was just telling my wife before I came up here what our theme was tonight. And... Um, he has a man. I, I, it's hard to go back in time because I said, I actually said this as I was walking upstairs. I said, when everybody else started liking Metallica, I didn't like them no more. But it's hard to tell because he has a very valid point. If they were still an underground band and that came out, would I be the person going, dude, enter the Sandman? You need to sit down, just take two seconds and listen to this. I doubt it because I'm a songwriter. And uh, they are good songs, but they did not grab me by the ball. Even, man, dude, I keep saying, Injustice for All is just so poorly produced. But listen to those songs on that album. They're excellent songs. Not that the Black Album is not excellent songs. It just didn't scratch that itch now, Justice like for Master all, of Puppets did. That was one. One was on Justice for All, right? Oh, I think you're right. So, uh, oh my God, I, I don't think that was a bad produced album, but there was something just about that album. Now, Marie, were, did you get into Black? No. There was no Steve Perry in, on that album. No. Dean knows or some. Pretty sure Steve Perry wasn't on that album. But, but here's the thing: 
but Marie did like some metal bands, so it's not that she didn't like metal. That was just wasn't that wasn't her bag at the time. So, oh, dude, we played Crazy Train together in our band. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So check this out. Here's some more comments. We've got jo- Joseph Marcoux said, for me, it's the Metallica Black album is where, where they went downhill. Justice for All was their last good CD. Cat uh, Blair, it was the last Metallica album that I bought and listened to. Uh, Kenneth Ashcraft Zero, Metallica and Justice for All was the album that made me start to back off Metallica. So he threw Justice for All into that. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That was my first CD, too. But you know what? They all have a very valid point. I didn't realize that that many people felt the exact same way I did. Um, but as a commercial success, uh, that that Black Album was a game changer. It truly was. It really I mean, was. They, they were already huge in my mind. Um but they they weren't just for us anymore, I guess, is what the, your TikToks people are, are all trying to say, because that's the way I felt is like, but as a business decision, uh, that was by far the best decision. I mean, they're they are metal now. They are the standard, you it, know, it is. and um, Megadeth uh, was the same era, same band, same kind, not the same kind of music, same style of music, I guess, but they did not have the, the massive celebrity that Metallica did and Slayer. One, I also heard Slayer at the same time I heard, um, uh, Injustice for all and Slayer South of heaven. Just, just, I never looked back. I never looked back after that. Well, if you go to the, if you go to the thread, that I've got on TikTok, where I throw this question out there. By and large, the Metallica fans were the most vocal. So we, you know, we talked about Metallica Black album. Uh, we're going to talk about Journeys Raised on Radio. We've got Def Leppard's Hysteria. We've got Pink Floyd's Momentary Lapse of Reason. Mm. The Metallica fan base absolutely the most vocal, and I would say that seventy percent, sixty, definitely maybe seventy percent are on the side of nope. That's that's where I backed yeah, off. Me but, too. But me you, too. I, I I just early. I honestly felt I was alone with that because everybody around me bought the black album. I'm like posers. You guys suck. <laughs> but here's the thing: you've got people like Mom, maybe five, who said that was the soundtrack of, of her high school life, and it made her delve deeper into all of their albums. Eric Johnson I was already divorced and living in the streets. When no, I'm kidding. I'm just <laughs> that but, makes me feel old, man. <laughs> but here's the, so Eric Johnson nine seven three says the black album. He somewhat enjoyed it, but he actually became suspect for the next album, and then Load Reload happened um, with that. And you know what? Let me, I'm going to pull up one more, because I had somebody else send me a soundbite. Let me get it loaded up here. So this is uh, uh, Ellie Love, and and she's actually going to comment on on all the albums. She, She definitely had a voice to be heard, so here's what she had to say. The Black Album was something like we've never really heard from them before. It's very commercially successful. They won a Grammy for it. And there were some great tracks on there, but it led to Load, Reload, which should have been a double album, I think. And then St. Anger, which was garbage. They had Redemption (laughs) with um, Death Magnetic, which I think was a brilliant album, but it was kind of like a swan song for me. I don't know. I just haven't listened to Metallica since. Dude, that was (laughs) the best. That, That opened my eyes. I forgot about the Grammy. And she's right. That brings me back to your earlier TikTok uh, fans uh, comment. She has she, the, the last lady just had a perfect point that once the Black Elm came out, it kind of changed the trajectory of their songwriting. Like Load Reload, I didn't even I didn't even acknowledge that. And then Ang- Saint Anger, I I was I was done. I didn't purchase any of those. I didn't even listen to any of those. So my point of saying all that is, is if that they didn't have Bob Rock and didn't take the trajectory of the Black Album, would they still sound like Injustice for All and Master of That's Puppets? That's a good question. That is, that is 
awesome. I'm happy we're having this conversation. Yeah, you know, that she, is eye opening like she, crazy. Man. She put it right out there. Garbage. But, wow. But here's the question with so Bob Rock, you know, he did uh Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, Errol Smith, uh Occult three eleven, Brian Adams, um Michael Boublier. Yeah, I mean, no doubt he he understands pop radio. He knows how to make a radio hit. And, you know, that's what he did with the Black Album. They won a Grammy. He's no Mutt Lang, but he won a Grammy. All right. So, uh, yeah. Anything else uh, you want to say on this one? No. That, dude, hearing your TikTok users was excellent. That was perfect. All right. Well, we're going to hear... We're going to hear Ellie again here in just a second because we're going to go to the other side of the spectrum. We're going to go from Metallica to, uh, we're going to go to Raised on Radio with Journey. And before I hit the sound bite, I actually want to, oh, I want to look at one of the comments here. Where was it? Uh, oh, man, I thought I left my, I had a note here. One of the followers pretty much, oh, here it is, Forces 11. Journey was easy listening by then. So here we go. Oh. oh my God! I've been thinking about the Raised on radio. What can I say about Raised on radio? I think I need to start with the fact that growing up on Journey was like the soundtrack of my life. They were always a very good time band. They had amazing rock songs and their ballads well let's face it we all made out to them and i know i did but i find that race on radio is a monumental departure of the band that we knew growing up it was more contemporary it wasn't the journey that we loved and i feel like we were starting to see the real trauma that was going on you know and steve even though he hit it very very well it was coming out in songwriting and i just don't think it's up to par with the rest of them i love the album but it's just not the journey that i grew up with so Marie, it's uh, 1986. You're a huge Journey fan. You run down. You got how old were you in 1986? 16. Speak to the mic. 16. All right. So you got 16 year old Marie running down to the record store. Did you get the tape or the album? Tape. Okay. So you run home and you put the tape in, and boom. What's your first reaction? It would have been. Hmm. <laughs> that kind of sums up where, right there. I think. Where uh, where are we going? This is uh, definitely. See, I, I I followed Steve Perry very closely. So when he um, went on vacay and went to to do his uh, first solo album, Street Talk, I w- listened to that and got very familiar with his songwriting style, his own solo stuff. And that's where you get to experience um, the individual and how they represent music. So when Raised on the Radio came out, it was definitely influenced by Steve Perry. It just is so obvious. You can hear it. Not that I don't love Steve Perry. I, he's my man. I'm huge, huge fan. But um, the band got lost in that um, production and it's definitely made your mind, my mind spin as far as like what was going on in Journey. I, you could definitely tell that um, there was a lot of changes going on. <laughs> Marie and I have talked about this one over the years. She, she knows. So uh, 
I think you know Steve Perry. I think gets sole credit for the production on that one. And and I'll be honest, in my in my book, it is probably one of the best produced albums that I can think of. It's it's top five. Maria's real tell you. I've said this for the year over the years. I just think he produced the wrong band for that album. It is not my favorite Journey album by any stretch of the imagination. I kind of agree with Forces Eleven that there is an easy listening aspect to it, but at the same time, my God, the the EQing, the the um, the stereo spectrum, the, everything about how he mixed that album, I think is is beautiful. It's such a well produced album. It's just the wrong <laughs> wrong band. Yep, I agree. Joe, I'm sorry, I was making out just when that <laughs> song came off. You know what? I uh, that journey, all the prior albums was definitely my high school soundtrack. That and Tom Petty and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> but that album, '86. You know what it sounds like? It sounds didn't didn't the Eagles kind of take that easily listening avenue? Well, also, I think everybody was kind of going towards that. Not Eagles because they they had they had they had broken up by then. Uh, Don Henley had done some stuff, but you're right. Yes. So, in all fairness, the mid '80s, you had uh, yeah. Foreigner with um, yeah. They had a couple ballads come out. You had Heart. You, Fleetwood we, Mac. Yeah, we yeah, talked about they, they, they all kind of went that way. Yeah, they all went to that yeah. soft sound. Yeah, they did. Did that? Uh, I, did that album do good? I think that album did great. Um, really? Do you think it was based on their legacy? Yeah. Or do people actually like <laughs> You know, that, that... Well, they had, they had disappeared for three years. So I think oh. people were just really hungry for yeah. more Journey. I think that, a, uh, just that, Was that the only hit song that you played off that? Um, I think they had a couple hits. Uh, let's pull there that was, one. Uh, which one did you just play? I played I'll Be All Right Without You. See, that's a great song. Woman. Which one? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Shoot. What was it called? So I don't know the names yeah. of the songs. Oh, Girl album. Can't Help It? Girl Can't Help It. Um, let's see. Why Can't This Night Go On? Oh, yes. Be Good oh, to wow. Yourself. Oh, uh, that's the one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they had they had some hits on there. So it was their ninth studio album. Um, wow. wow. And here's something that's interesting. It was the only album not to feature Ross Valerie. Because that's right. It had, it had American Idol's Randy Jackson. Yeah, that was. Oh the, uh, my God, that's right, that's right, that's right. I Ross Valerie was—he uh, was one of the very first musicians in the band who's always been there, except for that album. Which is yeah, he, it was him, the keyboard player, a, and Neil Sean, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. yeah, Jonathan Kane was all the original members except for Ross was Valerie Jonathan and Kane Steve original Smith. Member? I he thought he replaced. Um, I thought he replaced. Uh, uh, wasn't Greg Rowley a keyboardist? Who? Greg Rowley. Greg Rowley was um, lead vocals and keyboards. Right. So didn't Jonathan Cain wow. come in after Greg Rowley left, or was Jonathan oh, yeah. Cain from the original? Okay. Greg Rowley was kind of replaced by um, two. There was also another dude who is uh, leads. Oh, I forget his name. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like we're, we're Ansel re- Dunbar. Oh no. yes, yes, Ansel yes, Dunbar. Dunbar. Yeah, that sounds right. So I was what Marie was describing. Like I, I like Journey, but I wouldn't have called myself like a Journey fanatic. I didn't know everything about them. So, but I knew there's, they had songs I liked. So in '86 when this album came out, I went and got it because I'm thinking, oh, I think I love Journey. So let me go get this album. And there was absolutely a moment of commu- confusion where it's like, wait a minute, are, are there two different Journey bands? Because oh, this doesn't wow. make this doesn't sound like the Journey that I thought I was getting. Mm-hmm. See, I I was a not I wouldn't say a huge Journey fan, but I owned at least two of their albums and. Um, I forgot about that three-year um, hiatus, and I think I just 
just assumed they disbanded. And I, 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 until you played that song, I forgot that was, I probably thought it was on another album that I didn't own instead of a new album, or I didn't even recognize it as Journey, but their, their catalog was so strong. Oh yeah. And, and their album art was fantastic. It literally was, I didn't realize they had nine albums prior to that. Oh Dude, my God. In time, like Frontiers, I had to really think about it here recently. Frontiers, Frontiers. I would say, was my favorite album. I love yes. Separate Ways. After the Fall. Dude, I love that song. The harmonies on it are just, it's just yes. a great song. Yeah. One so, of my favorites. Yeah, it's awesome. So, yeah, this one. So, let's, you know, let me read through a couple more, a couple more of the comments that we got on this one because. Let's see, Super J the Third. He, he's kind of like in the boat I am. He said, I've grown to appreciate Raised on Radio. It is a great album, but I remember being disappointed at the time as it was uh, such a change from Frontiers and Escape. Uh, Tall Knoll says, Raised on Radio for me, my tastes were getting heavier, and Journey dialed it way back on this one. Uh, I was I so agree. disappointed. Yeah, you agree? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was perfect. Yeah. And, and Tech Cycle just pretty much says Frontiers was the last Journey album for him. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that one definitely d- d- divided the base. No doubt about that. But again, I've got to, I've got to say, it, if you if you pull the journey out of it and you just listen to the production on the album itself, um, it really is an incredible album. And I would recommend anybody that's trying to get into production, spend some time listening to that album and just listen to how, you know, the colors. And that's the only way I can describe it. Like on um, um, I'll Be All Right Without You. Man, I get a strong sense of like, tans and purples and browns and, and the colors that they they created within that album it, it's it's a good album I'm, i've just always been in conflict with the way it made me feel within myself so um it's yeah. more melodic it is less very, power yeah yeah it's, no, but that but production is very very important to me that you know like we always talk pink floyd uh the production even back on you know dark side of the moon the early albums um the songs are great on their own but the production on those albums are just insane yeah, they they really are good. Um, I don't know anything else you want to share, Marie, about how you felt about that album. Um, no, just that it was like listening to a totally different band. You definitely lost a lot of journey, and I agree with the sentiment that the journey that I fell in love with and loved and knew ended with Frontiers. Yeah. And yeah. that was, and I, I can't help but think it's the compilation of the band members because they let uh, Ross Valerie and um, Steve Smith go. And I loved Steve, Steve Smith. I think oh, Steve he added. Was, he wasn't on that album? No, they fired Ross Valerie and Steve Smith. Wow. That was when Steve Perry rejoined the band. He had actually left for the solo and then he rejoined the band. And then they fired Ross Valerie and Steve Smith for that album, let Steve Perry have almost total control. And. You know, you, you know, since it was a deviation, and the, yeah. there was probably a lot of rocky stuff going on in in the band. Yeah, uh, Steve Smith, I, I hadn't realized that. I hadn't thought about that because you think about so many of those songs, those drum parts. He had some like really iconic riffs oh, on absolutely. those drums. And to be Just honest, step, separate ways was yes. like that. He was the man. That actually may have been <laughs> on the, that song. That may have been a big part why it had that easy listening feel because Steve Smith brought in. Some some really iconic rock, you know, drum yes. beats and, and fills and whatnot. And now that I think about it, as I go through all the songs on the Raised on Radio, it it is an easy listening type drum beat that I'm mm-hmm. hearing. I could be it's wrong like, about that, but that yeah, could be it. It's like a Bee Gees album. It is a Bee Gees album. Not, yeah, and I'm not knocking the Bee Gees because Barry no. Gibbs a hell of a songwriter. But, oh, but you are no, right. no, no, no. I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very easy listening. It. Um, 
but it's still, you know, it's just not heavy. Um, a couple of their, like when Bee Gees wrote uh, songs that weren't disco-ish. Um, oh, God, oh, I, I can't think of the so name of the song that's songs. in my head. Islands but in the Stream. Islands in the Stream's always had a big one. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a perfect example. Islands that wasn't a song. in the Stream. That those, is... those are great songs. They and are. They got, and they got drums in it, and that's the kind of drum style I was referring to. You know, that, I'd never really thought about that until you just said that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so because because Neil's actually doing some pretty, he's got a, a real nice brown tone on some of his guitar parts. So there's definitely some distortion there. The drums are lacking. There's none of that real just yes. power boom, you know. And uh, and Steve Smith would do these like these. Uh, I'm not a drummer, so but he would do like these tom rolls. Like you think about separate ways. His fills. Uh, yeah, his fills. Oh. He would like to work the floor toms, and yeah, you know, it's just good power yes. stuff. Yeah. You know, we should, the three of us should sit on the smallest couch in your living room side by side <laughs> with a glass of Chardonnay each. And we should listen to that album beginning to end. And the first one that cries does a shot. <laughs> oh, well, wait a minute, dude. I'll, just, I'll start crying just so I can do the shot. Are you kidding? Uh, it doesn't matter who sits in the middle either. I'm just putting that out there. Well, I'll tell you what, and I'll end it with this. You, you, you watch the video for uh, I'll Be All Right Without You, and I'll okay. say, Randy Jackson had a good time. He's up there in his pink bass and uh, oh pink, pink no. spandex tights. He had a flat top. Oh, he had, like the, really yeah, he had the hair. Oh, and he God, was, I think I've seen that. He's high-stepping it. You can just see he's up there having a good time. Oh, my God. That was his claim to fame. Uh, it is he mentioned it often all right man so check this out here's the next album that we're going to go in, into right here that's on the other hand um i think a lot of it was mutt's influence and it was just aiming more and more towards radio play i think hysteria is brilliant um, Adrenalize, I think, was brilliant in its own right, but it just got weaker down the line. It got more pop-oriented as opposed to what they started as. I mean, they had attitude in the beginning, but either way, I love Death Burn. So here you go. There's Ellie again giving us her two cents. Um, who wants to go first? <clears throat> I, I will. The, the Death Leopard's kind of a, a tough subject for me because... I was way into them in my high school band, the band that I was in when I was, I think I was maybe a junior, I was probably a senior. Um, we played songs off of On Through the Night. And then High and Dry, uh, we did, We I think we played just one song off of that. So by the time Pyromania and Hysteria and all that came out, um, they, everybody else was into it, but we were, they kind of added that. Did you hear the way the drums sounded on that? Yeah, yeah. Very uh, electronic, well, even they though they're very heavy drums. Um, so by the time this, what's the name of this album? This is Hysteria. This is Hysteria. Um, everybody else loved them, but we were already what four albums, three albums deep. You know, Pyromania, On Through the Night, and High, um, high and Dry. Yeah. High and Dry. Yeah. Um, they're good songs. They're radio songs, but they uh, were not the Def Leppard that I loved. Marie, you are a Def Leppard fan. Now, yeah. were you a big fan before Hysteria, or was Hysteria, did that, like, jack it up for you? Um, I became a fan after Hysteria. Oh, really? Like, it, was, it was one of these things where I wasn't a big Def Leppard, Leppard fan during uh, Pyromania. Um, I didn't understand what all the hype was. I didn't hear it. It just, to me, just didn't do anything for me. But then it just clicked for me, <laughs> um, kind of late in my teens. Yeah. I heard Hysteria again for the 20th time, oddly enough. 
And I discovered I really loved it. And then I became a huge fan. For me, I am a Def Leppard fan, absolutely. Um, through all their albums, you know, man, Bring On The Heartbreak, what a hauntingly beautiful song. Now, but here's the thing, this is what's interesting. So I, I love to talk about Hysteria, because when you talk about well-produced albums, again, like Raised On Radio, I think Hysteria is one of the best-produced albums out there. 100%. So, 100%. But it when, was. When you look at the journey that Def Leppard went through, so uh, let's see, Pete Willis, who's, you know, he and Steve Clark were the first two guitars. Pete yep. get, get, leaves the band um, during Pyromania. Um, I think Phil Cullen. Yeah, Phil Cullen comes on, I think, during the tour of Pyromania. But here's the thing. So Pete and Steve are two blue-collar, just, you know, meat and potato rock guitarists. Steve's a hell of a songwriter, and we're going to talk about that. But, but Pete is a, you know, he, he's just a rock guitarist. And those first, let's see, uh, High and Dry, Pyromania... Uh, hysteria. Okay, so those three albums, I don't know about On Through the Night, but I know those three albums were um, uh, all produced by um, Mutt Lang. So, and the uh, Pyromania and a High and Dry uh, definitely have an ACDC type quality to them, and, and I think Mutt also produced them. Absolutely. But Phil Collin, when they replaced Pete, Phil's a completely different guitarist than Phil, uh, than Pete. He's, he's a very melodic, uh, more, you know, phrasing style guitarist than just running out there and doing some riffs. So, a lot of these songs on, on Hysteria were actually started being written during Pyromania. They just never made it onto the album. And then Rick Allen lost his arm in the accident, which I think is why we ended up with th those, those digital sounds, because Rick had to use a digital drum set to make up for the fact that he lost an arm. Absolutely. Uh, and I think, I think the band... And in Mutt and his genius, I think he just decided he was going to build around that digital drum sound. The things that I do love about that album that, to me, were uh, very notable, one... You know, I've talked about this in one of my earlier posts. You have uh, women. So you listen to that opening, that opening part. You have the vocalist. You have Joe Elliott and Phil Collin in, in harmony together. And, you know, Phil is doing his guitar part right along with Joe's vocals, and it creates this great effect. But the other thing I love about that album, if you listen closely to it, you've got songs like Animal and uh, Hysteria, which, which are, are up-tempo rock songs, but they're using clean guitar in a really cool way. So... Up until that time period, we were used to hearing clean guitar and like ballads, just these these very um, chimey, uh, a lot of chorus, a lot of some flange, clean electric guitars. But they used them on upbeat rock songs, and I thought it was just really cool the way that they were incorporating it. Now, did it give it a pop sound? Maybe, but I still thought it was really cool. Um, and being that I love concept albums, I actually thought it was kind of cool the way they were working in all the non-musical elements into that album. So I, you know, if, if we look at some of the comments here, like. Uh, Let's see, Jow of the Bad said, Hysteria. Mutt Lang produced it so well, such a unique approach. Um, user 1429346, Hysteria is a production masterpiece. Now, you know, there are detractors as well. K. Willis, 007, says Pyromania was his favorite Def Leppard album. He thought Hysteria was, was a softening for Def Leppard. Um, and I think you were kind of speaking to that, weren't you, Joe? Oh, 100%. It, it's, uh, it, it, but. Again, it's superior songs. It was a, a next it, to me. It was the next uh, step that Def Leppard should have taken. I mean, the, even the, like the multi-tracking of Joe Elliott's vocals are excellent on that album. But uh, to me, the softening. I was again in those days looking for the next harder thing. And um, it's not that it's a bad album at all, but I do not own that album. <laughs> You don't? <laughs> it's just, I, I would invest my money in, 
God, Prong, or I mean, just so many other bands. Uh, uh, um, you know, Harder Sacred Stuff. Reich. You know, I was, I was, I'm, I'm super heavy metal. And um, yeah. but those those first uh, bunch of albums by Def Leppard, scratch that itch. And you, earlier you said you didn't think that Mutt produced on, on through the night sounds completely different than all the. Um, all the ones after that, so I think that was a different producer. And there, those guys the night are, was 1980. It was their second um, EP. Yeah, wow, they they had one. Such bef- a good album. They man. had one before that, um, and then I think they they for whatever reason maybe the timing wasn't right or whatever. So I know they re-released. I think you had to import the true first album. I okay. think it was an import. So let's see. That was uh, the Def Leppard EP. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So on through the night was. Uh, I don't have my glasses on. Ton Allum, Altum. So yeah, it, it wasn't Mutt. Um, and, and I'll be honest, to me, Mutt. If I've if, if I've got like a a producer idol, it's Mutt. Yeah, there's that's a fact. Yeah, no, he's incredible. Um, let's see, Gent E. And I always like his comments on my posts. <laughs> he just puts it right out there. Hysteria was overproduced pop rock for the most part. It was, but that to me, I agree one hundred percent. But that was the next. I mean, that is a perfect follow-on to Pyromania. I own Pyromania. I do not own Hysteria. It's just that's you know that was our subject this evening. It was it was the game changer. I just didn't. I could not justify thirteen dollars. It had so much radio play. My taint hurt. You know, I just it was just every song on that album is pretty much a hit. Am I wrong? No, it is. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah you, know, you know, it was four years between those two albums. Wow, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Wow. I, I do know that the album, the songs on that album, they expected it to come out a lot sooner because of but Rick's accident, you know, put a delay on that. When was Rick's accident? Maybe that was what the delay was for. <sighs> oh, it was absolutely the reason for the delay. Okay. Um, so Pyromania came out in 1983, and then the accident probably... 87, probably. Oh, uh, no, I think it, it, it may have been... I think they would have needed time for him to rehabilitate. Yeah. Let's see. You know what, Dean? That brings me back when um, you know what's so also significant about that album is Eight. you and I both saw that tour. Yes. And even though every song on that album was a hit, and all those prior albums are they hold on their own, Tesla still blew them off the stage. <laughs> well, yeah, but here's the thing: that's not saying anything against Def Leppard. That's just not saying, at all. Tesla yeah. was the shit that year. I think it was '87, '86, '87. Yeah. All right, so Rick had his accident in 84. So they released it in 83. Okay, that makes sense. They intended to have an album out, if I remember, like the following year. Definitely two, within two years. Within two, yeah. probably. Rick had his accident, lost his left arm. Now, to, to Def Leppard's credit, and this is why I love the band, I, I just think they're, they're a good band and that, you know, they didn't rush off to say, okay, we're going to find another drummer. It's, they gave Rick the opportunity or time. And, and if I remember the story right, I think they actually thought that may have just been the end for them. And Rick brought them back and said, hey, guys, I want to show you something. That and, he did. That is true. Yeah. And he, so he, he convinced them. And same thing with, you know, we could talk about this when Steve Clark died. Um, and that, I'll be honest, that was a tough one for them to overcome because Steve's songwriting style is such a fingerprint. And, and Phil Collin, I think, blended very good with Steve Clark. And this is a whole other subject, but I'll just say it. I'm a huge Vivian Campbell fan, so I was thrilled when they picked Vivian. But Viv- Vivian and Phil are both, you know, these uh, passionate finesse players. Uh, Phil or Vivian is not a Steve Clark, and that's not a it's not a slam. It's just it's he's not. So I think uh, after I think he had some, several things. One, Hysteria, massive album. Uh, Don Henley once credited with credited Hotel California with the demise of the Eagles because he said that album was so perfectly produced, they they were never able to figure out how to replicate it, and it led I to agree. it added a lot of tension to the band. I think Hysteria is the same thing. So one. 
it's a perfect album. How do you follow that up? That ends up becoming what people expect to hear when you go to a concert. At the same time, Adrenaline, Adrenalize comes out. Steve Clark dies. Now, Steve Clark wrote, I think, all the songs on Adrenalize, but now you have to bring in Vivian Campbell. And then at the exact same time, we've talked about this, grunge comes in and the whole market changes. So from that point forward, you are forever known for hysteria, and that becomes your, your thing. I agree. Another thing about Vivian Campbell and um, uh, Phil Collin is uh, that's different from uh, Steve Clark and uh, the prior guitars is Def Leppard's a two guitar band. It's meant to be a two guitar band. It is. Vivian Campbell and um, Phil Collin can hold their own in one guitar bands if needed. Oh, Vivian, Car- uh, Vivian Campbell proved that oh, many times. Yeah, the guy doesn't. You know. Yeah, I'll do a, I'll do a whole hour talking about Vivian and why he's awesome, and, and I probably I'll, I'll probably do a bunch of posts on because he he really is a phenomenal guitarist. But all right, anything else anybody wants to say about Def Leppard's Hysteria? Just that you know, if you're not familiar with their story, you have got to. Um, there's a movie. It's it's amazing. They really are. Yeah. Um, talking about a band who really has high moral ethics. That is the band you would um, want to look up to. They, they, they really are. They're, they're great role models. I love them for a number of reasons. Uh, three, four-part vocal harmony, uh, they're, the way they work with each other. I mean, you could go on and on and on. So, I, uh, I made them sushi and cook for them and met them, and they could have been a bunch of dicks because I was just a cook, but they were incredibly cool, no and that's way. how I got the free Wait, tickets. Are you, are, to are you serious? Are you freaking kidding me? No, nah, man, that's 100% that. true. Wichita, Kansas. Oh, oh they, dude. That's, that, and, Those uh, are the stories I love. And that's when I told you, Dean, uh, that's when uh, George Lynch was standing at the bar. Not that concert, but a different one. And I didn't know it was just me and him. And I didn't know what to say to him. You know, I wanted to go, you are the man. But what do you say? <laughs> do you tell him to take, that he hasn't heard. You know? you're trying to be cool. Do you tell him to take yeah. the trash out? You should have said, dude, take the trash out. <laughs> dude, uh, you and your uh, Mr. Scary Guitar. Uh, yeah, dumpster isn't going to empty itself, brother. So, so is this where we have to tell the truth then? Rick did not lose his accident or lose his arm in a car accident. He lost it in a rogue sushi accident. You were slicing right. the sushi and whoops. Oops. Dude, if you can't cut tuna, you shouldn't play guitar. <laughs> Or in this case, drums. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> no, dude, I never know. You never shared that story with me. That's really cool. Uh, you just don't listen when I talk. I think. Oh, I think, no. Uh, don't get started. Yeah, don't get started. Oh, 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 boy. Oh, boy. Now Marie's going to be like, well, let me tell you. No, you know, that's, that's 100% true. Dude, that's, I swear on the Bible. That's the absolute. I was actually going to say that because I, I'm sitting here asking Marie questions as we go through this, and you would think, you know, being married. 27, 28 years, something like that, that I'd already know a lot of these answers. I don't. And that, yep. and she'd probably say that's why I, I, I'm a, a questionable right. husband at times, because after all these almost three decades. I know I've told him. I know I have. <laughs> you know, uh, this is good therapy for your marriage. And also, when we, all three of us sit on the smallest couch in your living room, that'd be good for all three of us. We yes. can all hold hands. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here we go. Let's, let's, let's move on to the next one. I think I've got everything queued up. Let's see. Well, kind of. Here we go. That's just beautiful. I mean, it's, come on, skill more. But Pink Floyd, huge fan, huge fan. And there's no secret that David and Marjorie had some bad blood between them. The final cut truly was the final cut, other than that one live performance that they did together. Um, a momentary lapse of reason I find to be a brilliant album. It was definitely a different direction but you know a lot of fans go in different directions at some point to stay relevant and I think David did a really good job at that but at the same token I feel like he was just 
pushing himself more towards his solo career, which is, I think, what he wanted to do in the first place. But I think he wanted just to keep the band together because they were magic when they were. I mean, they were a very, very tight band. But as a whole, I really do feel a military lapse of reason should have been a David Gilmore album. That's my opinion. Wow. Oh, I forgot Dude, about this, that song. This is going to be the hardest one. This is going to be hard. It, it really is. Yeah, that's why I wanted to go last because... Man, I mean, where do, we, where do we start on this one? Because, God, I love Pink Floyd. I was a huge Floyd fan when this came out. I still am. Um, and I know this one divides a lot of people because, you know, there are true, you know, hardcore Floydians that are like, and I'm going to just say right here, you know, I talked about Gent E. He Once again, he just sums it up very, very shortly. No Waters, no Floyd. Uh, uh, if that is a true statement, if you're a true Floyd fan, you would say no Sid Barrett, no Floyd. So I this that's why this this subject is going to be really hard because he does have a very 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 valid point. To me, Pink Floyd is post Sid Barrett. I'm not a Uma Guma and all that did not scratch that itch. I'm going to use that uh, phrase a lot because certain albums and certain songs just make me feel a certain way that I can't get them out of my head. And 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 your TikTok uh, friend said no uh, Waters, no Floyd. Yeah, uh, Pink Floyd. Every Mick Mason, I mean, every single person of in that band is so relevant to the the. Um, the I guess the most popular uh, section of their body of work, I would guess. Um, but I love Roger Waters' voice. I mean, I really, I mean, to me, when you say Pink Floyd, I think Animals. I think um, uh, Dark Side of the Moon, of uh, the Wall, is almost a, is, you know, it stands on its own. But um, and the wall was very heavy, Roger Waters. Yeah. But um, momentary lapse of reason. I think it was ahead of its time. I think it's a very David Gilmore album, but it's one hundred percent Pink Floyd without Waters. Um, but it's a great album. It truly is a great album. But I think when it first came out, I was like when Robert Plant led Ze- left Zeppelin and his first album came out with In the Mood and all that on I can't remember the name of that album you're expecting Led Zeppelin and you know even those solo page albums you're expecting Led Zeppelin they weren't Led Zeppelin at all That's just actually- like this should not be um, this should not be Pink Floyd with Roger Waters sounding album it would have co- sounded completely different is it a good album hell yeah it's a good album but when it came out I did not like it I do not own it but as time went on that album is excellent yeah I um, you want to say anything before I get started? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I'm not a Pink Floyd ex- expert, so. For me, God. So first off, you know, uh, for those that have watched all my videos on TikTok, I do I do a episode where I talk about David Gilmore. Um, if there is one single guitarist, like in the '80s, I was a huge George Lynch fan. Yeah, I, I poured myself into, into learning everything docking and everything Lynch. Um, but then then David Gilmore happened. And there, if there is one guitarist who single-handedly changed my trajectory as a guitarist, um, it'd be David Gilmore. So I absolutely love him as a guitarist. I love his vocals. I, I get what Gent E is saying because, yes, part of Floyd is this um, this uh, bipolar-type approach from the vocals where you have just this angry, harsh, kind of awkward uncomfortableness that, that Roger Waters brings to the table, and all of a sudden you temper it with this almost like heavenly, you know, literally the clouds open up and, and uh, David Gilmore comes down with a bunch of angels behind him, and, and, and it's, it's, it's just gorgeous. So, momentary lapse, and, and that's a perfect example on the turning away. The best way I can describe it is it, it's probably like when I was a kid, 
my mom every now and then would buy a sweetened cereal, but not always. But so I loved, I think it was Lucky Charms. I loved the, the little dry marshmallows in there that crunch. Little shapes for everyone. Frosted Lucky Charms. And I decided one Saturday morning I was going to make a whole bowl of nothing but marshmallows. So I took all the marshmallows out, picked them out, and I put all the um, the the wheat whatever stuff back into the box. And I ate a bowl of just Lucky Charms marshmallows. <laughs> and no, 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 it, it was actually really good. It was just freaking sweet. It was almost like too sweet. So sometimes I do feel like a a Pink Floyd album with just David Gilmour is kind of like that. It's good. I love it. But oh yeah, it's a lot of saccharine, very sweet because um, his vocals are just beautiful. Um, Let's see. Some of the other comments we've got. Uh, Eric Johnson, 973, says, A Momentary Lapse. He was a fan before. Absolutely loved that album. I know that is not the majority opinion, but it is what it is. Uh, Sarah Lee 3, Pink Floyd, and she's like putting all the bangs behind it. Wow. The memories <laughs> the memories when chemicals were involved. So yes, much, so like much those fun. Lucky charms. Yeah. So much fun and so many great memories. All-time favorite song on The Turning Away. Um, but you know, then on the other side, you got little, uh, little Jimmy Dickens here saying Gilmore Floyd is just too snoozy for me. Own every Floyd album, except for the mm. three Gilmore ones. Uh, wow. dude, you know, as you were, as you were talking and reading those posts, um, here's, what's different about Pink Floyd from the other bands that we were talking about this evening is all journey pretty much sounds like journey. You know, their, their, their albums are almost, you could take a song and you go, Okay, this is Journey, this is Journey, from almost all their albums. Same thing with Def Leppard. Def Leppard, you know, you could pretty much Iconic go... Iconic sounds, right? Yeah, exactly. Pink Floyd, man, every... Uh, there isn't a song that defines them, you know? Wouldn't you say that, or in my opinion, Pink Floyd was more experimental, and they yeah. like to change? Uh, yes, uh, every it's, album it's, it's is completely... based Yes, because, um, like, um, uh, what's... Oh, God. Oh my God! Uh, uh, there's a song in my. Uh, I can't think of the name of the song. I can hear it in my head right now. It's it's gonna pop I, up. I can't remember but, the names of their songs either. No. Um, which album? It. W- w- oh, there it is. That's the name of the album. Wish you were here. Oh. Sounds nothing. The song "Wish You Were Here" sounds like nothing on um, "Dark Side of the Moon," which sounds nothing like. So, I could see how "Momentary Lapse of Reason" fits into the catalog. But without the Roger Waters, like the Run Like Hell, when him and Gilmore switch off their lyrics back and forth, oh my God. Oh my God, that's such a... But I think Momentary Lapse of Reason, um, I can see why it's a Pink Floyd album because of its members. But as far as the songwriting, um, it sounds unlike all the other albums to the, on, on another level because it's so heavy, David Gilmore. But the, at the beginning of that, those keyboards in that, um, the song you just played, you can tell that's Pink Floyd. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's that's a tough one. This is good. That's a tough. That's a tough. Well, uh, so Roger Waters was adamant when that album was coming out, it was not to be called Pink Floyd, Um, and they they went through the legal battles, and yeah, they didn't get that resolved until after the album got released. I think it delayed the album, the legal battles. Now, what's what's interesting though is, and Roger probably hates this fact, uh, that album outsold the final cut. (laughs) I can see why I didn't like the final cut either. You did? I I did. I love the final cut. Oh, but you yeah. know what's you know what's cool? Uh, not not I mean that's uh, kind of bizarre. Is do you know the settlement that they finally came out with? Was that the one that dealt with the pig, or is that a whole different thing? That's animals. I love that animals. No. I don't, oh my god, that's such a good. No no no, no but, but, but I know but I know Roger also sued them for the use of the pig in their concerts. So so no, what was the settlement? The settlement was, and you can double check me. It will not hurt my feelings. Is uh, Gilmore gets the entire catalog 
except the wall because the wall is like the crown jewel and the wall is so heavily Roger Waters that he gets the wall, Gilmer gets everything else. I didn't know that. But you know, it does make sense why whenever the wall is performed live, it's it's it's, it's always, always him. Yeah. Yeah, it's always him. And he and he surrounds himself with some good musicians too and uh, I've seen a couple of those. Um but that uh that's yeah, they're not Gilmore though. Even and you can you can't tell during the rhythms. But as soon as those leaves start, even if they're note for note, you could tell it's not Gilmore, man. Yeah, it's bizarre. That is, um, I tell you what, if if Waters and Gilmore can ever just make nice, and I and I know they've done some shows together here in recent years, but man, if they could ever make nice and go do a tour um, before the rest of the members all die, they could make some money, and it'd be a they, hell of a show. They just- they just talked about that on Sirius Radio the other day, and uh, because now that all the concerts are coming back, and they're like, "Oh my God, wouldn't it be great if Gilmore?" It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. I guess here's the question: Will Will Perry and Neil Sean and rest of Journey make nice so they could go do a tour before you know Roger Waters and David Gilmore? <laughs> oh, you know, Steve Perry, I heard is going to sing um, with uh, Pink Floyd. Now is what's going to happen, and then and I'm going to take Marie, and we're going to go see that, and uh, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Uh, so there you go, man. Those are four albums. And you know, the, the big takeaway from that was interesting on the, the TikTok feed. Hands down, the Metallica fans are the most vocal. Um, I, I felt I felt uh, I felt uh, like dissed when that came out. I was insulted when I heard Enter the Sandman. I was so excited. I mean, like we counted down. We we're like, oh, my God, they got the, the money they need. And when that shit came out, even though it's a good song now. I, I was pissed for years, dude. Is that your daughter again? <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. Hold on, hold on. But now I know how to. Uh, now I know how to take care of it. Hold on. Uh, did that, did that. that is so funny. Dude. I, I, sh- she was laughing so hard when she heard uh, the podcast, and you're like, oh, "Should I tell her God. to shut up?" <laughs> so I'm not, not, not going to cross her, man. All right. So I want to go a little bit deeper here, but okay. again. Why? Because was it, what was different? Was it that Lars didn't attack the kick drum as hard in the Black Album? I mean. No, I, no, I, I'm, and then I, uh, years later, they did that uh, documentary. Did you see that? The Monsters or something like that? No, or no. The mo- something to do with the monster. And they literally filmed the making of the Black Album. And um, just, it's just, it's just subpar. The, uh, Bob Rock like fought with them on all the stuff that they did prior because it was his job but they uh to me they kind of they're shorter songs which they should be but all metallica songs were much longer and had uh you know they're just it's almost like a hard rock album to me sadly so here's what i want to leave you with and we'll um this will kind of tee up next week's discussion so black came out in 91 um Cowboys from Hell, Pantera, came out in 90. And I want to talk about this next week on how Pantera and how Dimebag, they forced a shift in metal. Do you think at any level that kind of contributed? Because Pantera came out with just this with this just quantum leap on, okay, here's where we're going to take metal. It's almost like they grabbed it by the scruff and they said, we're going to go this direction. And then a year later, Metallica comes out with something. Do you think as you as like a hardcore metal fan, you know, were you into Pantera at that point? Oh my God! But you know what? They weren't the heaviest thing I was listening to, but they their songs on Cowboys from Hell are perfect. So do you think maybe the the rest of the market was starting to go a direction, and then Metallica? Oh my God! Came out? Oh, they grabbed everybody's attention. I think if your point is Metallica softened, and and then Pantera came out, that album scratched that itch, that void was left by Metallica. 
100%. Okay. Because even Megadeth was like, meh. You know, they were just okay. Sepultura, Slayer was always still there. That's so funny that Slayer always kicked ass, man. Um, bizarrely. But Pantera took it to the next level, man, by far. Well, so next week, we're going to talk about metal. I'm, I'm yes. going to be bringing in a, uh, actually a classically trained music theorist who uh, she's listened to a lot of 80s Megadeth and Metallica. And, yes. And, and she's identified some pretty cool differences between you know what we were hearing in the 80s and then what dime bag brought to the table so it'll be interesting to hear from a, a theory trained classical musician uh, speak up on that so, hey, when, when you guys went to stevie ray vaughn's grave you, you went to his actual grave and yeah. laid your guitar on it didn't i did you? yeah i did yeah. did was dime bag already dead then <sighs> yes did you go to his grave i didn't know damn you no Dude. damn you dean baldwin the arlington cemetery <laughs> was huge and oh, I know. Yeah. we walked we <laughs> didn't, know where, we didn't know where yeah. his grave was we walked around they don't announce it wow. so you just... and we stumbled across it with luck it was Literally. crazy we were... and I bet it was hot there too well, it, it wasn't too bad because it was, it was, thanks, it was around day. Thanksgiving. It was beautiful. Um, oh, it was Thanksgiving. But, That's you know, they, right. don't, they, right. they don't, like, have signs. Point. He's, he's in the family burial. He's in the, the Vaughn's family burial area. Yeah. And we were he's just, just stumbling around until so we found his family's site. Wow. Yeah. That's all. No Sorry, I, I didn't mean no. to throw you off subject. I just thought of that. I thought about... Uh, I just love that whole scene, that whole no, and, area. Well, it's, it's interesting you point that out, too, because, and we're going to go into much deeper detail this week, but, you know, there's aspects of, um, you know, Dimebag's playing that I can actually point to and, and draw similarities and say what he's doing there on the right-hand wrist technique is something that Steve Ari Vaughn also did. So, 100%, so Dimebag yes. is absolutely a Texas guitarist, and we're going to talk about that next week. So Excellent. Any, uh, any final words anybody's got on uh, any of the albums we talked about today? Nope. I think you ought to listen to On Through the Night and High and Dry again recently i now that uh with my newest car i uh i hated serious serious radio my wife loves it she goes i can i can give you my part of my subscription for free and i'm like sure whatever and uh you got rid of the uh, 84 chevette uh well yeah i mean uh you know you can only drive it for so three hundred thousand miles you know and i i think i had a coat hanger hold the back left door it's a four-door chevette which means i'm super lame but uh dude, they bust out these songs off of on through the night and high and dry and you got to remember when those albums came out, they were teenagers. Those I albums know. are the songwriting is like it holds it holds water today. Dude, it Rick, really does. Wow. Rick Allen looks like he's twelve years old. He does. <laughs> you look at those photos. That's why we related to them. We're like, if they could do it at, at our age, we should be able to kick ass like that. And uh, dude, those those seriously, I mean, if you're if you're like, hey, Wallace said, uh, bust out some high and dry. Just put on track one and just let it ride for about three, four songs. You'll go, my God, I forgot. Oh, That's yeah. It's incredible. All right, honey. So I think you had taken the heads off, headphones off. We were talking about who would uh, reform sooner. Would it be uh, David Gilmore and Roger Waters make nice for, for a Floyd reunion tour? Or would Steve Perry and Neil Sean make nice for a <laughs> journey reunion? Uh, well, I mean, it's looking like they are trying to repair some roads. But I tell you, it will probably be like a cold day in hell for... Either yep. one of them, I think. <laughs> yep, I agree. I agree. So, you got any uh, last message you want to send out for uh, Neil and Steve? Um, you guys have got to like figure out how to like just make music again together for the sake of society. Oh, dude, that's like the whole Bill and Ted's uh-huh. thing. If Journey can come together, the planets will align, the yes. world will unite in harmony. That's Journey. 
dude, Steve Perry wore the tightest pants. I mean, I I feel like I know his penis just by lo- <laughs> just just by looking at it. I, I I vote for Steve Perry and Neil Sean. Tighter than, Se- want, tighter than Sebastian Bach. Tighter than Sebastian Bach. Oh, dude, oh, we, that's a whole. We'll open a Sebastian Bach book okay, next we're, next we're, time because oh my god, we're gonna do a dude. whole hour on Sebastian Bach's pant choice. <laughs> And the, the effects of drugs and alcohol on an artist. Yeah. Oh, that would be oh a long God. episode. All righty. So I guess uh, we wore out this subject. And yes. uh, that is the end of the episode two of uh, Rockheads. Man, that was excellent. Thank you, Baldwin. I miss you guys. Thank you.